put formal in quotation marks because there's nothing formal about this. <laughs> what? No shirts and ties? I mean, you do you, but. Uh... <laughs> oh, do we have to describe what we're wearing? Ew. No. no. Oh, okay. Don't have to. I mean, you can if you want, as long as you're wearing something. Even that might be dangerous. Actually, no. Just you can just acknowledge that you're. Even that's dangerous. We'll just move on. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the One More Turn Season 7 Commentary over at OneMoreTurn.net. I'm Daniel Dan Q. Quick. I am the creator, writer, producer, and I guess I'm also a voice performer for Hudson. I don't know how many people really care about that because that would perhaps mean caring about Hudson. But I'm also joined by Jennifer Lund, who voices Avery. Hey, hey. And Stephen, warning you to Warner, who voices Garrison. Greetings, Earthlings. so we welcome steve to the voice performer aspect of the show having previously provided our voiceovers for the uh, previous seasons and we introduce his character so this is also steve's first commentary because technically he wasn't invited to the ones before no i was not and i have no idea what i'm doing but that's pretty well life as it is i think that also describes a lot of characters on the show (laughs) They're not really certain what they're doing or why they're doing it. They're just doing it. And that's for our entertainment to quote Ernie uh, Darkest Onion, uh, who voices Caden, you know, our favorite horrible people. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. (laughs) That uh, that description has obviously resonated with me, and I just want to continue that going forward. I think that's an excellent byline. Probably should use that in marketing more or actually start using it. You have a very intriguing voice. Thank you. You're welcome. There's the start of behind the scenes expose right there. I'm just, I'm just saying. (laughs) (laughs) For this first question, I'm actually going to start with Steve because you're the new guy. Now, I'm going to change this question a little bit because the question is, what was your first reaction to learning the show was returning to production for a season seven? But I guess this is a more specific question just for Steve. What made you decide that, yes, you wanted to cross over from being the person who does our voiceovers to voicing a character on the show? Well, it was the personal threats you made against me. You know, part of the non-disclosure agreement about that was to not mention that. And now we're going to have to go through legal and, oh. <laughs> no, I, I mean, I enjoyed doing the voiceovers and uh, people said, hey, you got a nice voice. So I thought, oh, what the hell? Let's um, let's try uh, doing a character and see how I do it. Very uh, happy that you asked me, Dan. That was all I was done. I wanted to help out any way I could. Well, we very much appreciate you saying yes, or at least I do. I'm not going to assume to speak for Jennifer. She may have a completely other agenda she may want to get into. But (laughs) some people might be listening to this, having listened to some or all of season seven, or maybe they haven't listened to anything, which kind of goes to the, I'm sorry, I thought you ended this show. Why are you back? Maybe first of all at all, but B, why are you back so soon? And I guess the short answer is during the series commentary for at the end of season six because we did a season six commentary as well i'd alluded to the possibility to this show returning in the future and the COVID 19 pandemic onset lessened some of my time commitments elsewhere making such a return possible and that time gave me the opportunity to revisit these characters their relationships and their lives overall for what could come next and quite honestly another impetus was ending the series with that half season tacked onto the end of season six was intended to give closure 
but it also meant that some of what I had planned would not fit into the story, and I still wanted to realize it. And then that was essentially the half of season seven, and then it was, oh, I still have another however many episodes to go, because I wanted to return to 13-episode seasons, and then that let me thinking more about the characters and their relationships and what could come next. And essentially, season seven is the start of the political focus, the political sphere that we get into, having previously looked at the court of law and the court of public opinion. So, Jennifer, with that segue between Steve's answer and mine, what was your first reaction to learning that One More Turn was returning to production for a season seven? I mean, it sort of uh, fit in with, what, the larger cultural zeitgeist of other things that we thought had been dead but were then resurrected. At least you didn't have to go to an alternate method of distribution. You didn't have to beg Netflix to pick us up or something. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, They wouldn't return my calls. I tried. Oh. <laughs> well, but yeah, I mean, you know, it sort of reminded me of the whole, you know, six seasons in a movie with immunity. And yeah, I just I was intrigued to see that we were coming back, you know, because I remember wrapping up the end of this recording session for season six and thinking, You know, sort of a, well, damn, that was fun while it lasted. In addition to Steve being happy to help out however he could and become the voice performer for Garrison, you were happy to have the opportunity to return to Avery and everyone else in this dysfunctional family. She's a lot of fun. (laughs) She lets me fly my inner bitch flag. It's great. Part of me is like, Dan, you should jump to an episode that Hudson is in. So you have a chance to say something. No, 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 I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to abuse my power on this recording. Not yet. <laughs> so I might have. Jennifer, what were your first reactions when you had finished reading season seven scripts? Oh, sure. Ask me while I'm finishing a cracker. Sorry. <laughs> That's OK. And if you can somehow work the cracker into your answer, I will give you brownie points. Ooh, brownies. Wow. Well, let's see. Cracking character development for Avery. (laughs) No, seriously, when I was going through this script, you know, I hit, was it it the first or the second episode where, you know, seeing this lovely, creepy, clothing rustling conversation between Avery and Hudson, which... Ah, episode 702, quotable. Yeah. Which was disturbing enough in and of itself. And then we get to the telenovela portion of the the episode where it's like, because you're pregnant, dun, dun, dun. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, well, damn. Okay. (laughs) You you had my curiosity. Now you have my attention. (laughs) And it didn't exactly come about in the terms of the revelation in a very pleasant way between these two characters. I still don't know for certain when Avery was going to say something. I mean, it would have become, quote unquote, obvious at some point. But Well, yeah, you have a limited time before <laughs> before it becomes, you know, pretty obvious. And even if you're one of these ridiculously lucky freak of nature types who only look like you've 
onboarded an extra large burrito for lunch, eventually you're going to have an extra person. Do you still feel as you did when we were recording these episodes that and rereading the scripts that you had to have a shower after the Avery and Hudson scenes? Yeah, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hudson is just yeah. the best way that I can describe it is if anybody here watched the opening ceremonies for the Olympics, there was uh, one guy who got kind of internet famous for being very shiny because he was going shirtless and had like oiled himself up. Yeah, Hudson is oily and not in a good way. <laughs> so, yes, you felt dirty, but also not in a good way. Yeah. Uh... Well, there's never really a good way to feel dirt. Well, see, (laughs) there are a very limited number of ways to feel dirty in a good way. Hudson did not inspire any of them. Just a brief follow up question here. Did it surprise you to no end that Hudson and Avery got together? (sighs) Not really. I mean, he's a man whore and she's an opportunist. And there was actually, I didn't make note of the specific episode, but earlier on in the series, Avery did make the comments like, hmm, I guess we're never going to find out, Hudson, if uh, you and I could have been a thing. And it was just kind of not even certain that was even on Hudson's radar, but here they go. The thing is that Avery is kind of like an M&M where she has this hard shell but underneath it's soft and gooey and melty and prone to destruction pretty easily. Evidenced by the fact that she has a dead guy's voice as her phone assistant uh, thing. This was my way to allow Ernie Darkest Onion. He wanted to contribute to season seven. And I didn't want to go with, you know, a dream sequence, partially because we did that as episode 618 when... Caden was passing away. I didn't want to do a flashback necessarily. I wanted to do something a little different, but also, I guess, a little creepy. And I guess I accomplished that. So, Steve, what were your first reactions when you had finished reading the season seven scripts or maybe rereading as the case may be? Because I admit it has been over a year since you would have first read these. Well, first off, because I was coming brand new into it and hadn't really heard a lot of the episodes before, listened to snippets of it, to tell you the honest truth. But my first reaction was, wow, these people all hate each other, and I don't understand why. So I was trying to understand that. So that was my first reaction reading the script and trying to understand all the different relationships and why they were angry at each other. I don't know if I necessarily succeeded, but uh, that was my first reaction. Fair enough. I really can't answer this question necessarily. You know, what were my first reactions when I finished reading the season seven scripts? Because by the time they were finished, I had read them many times and in some iterations that nobody else saw. And that's always a good thing. So my first reaction when I had finished writing (laughs) the season seven scripts was, yay, they're done. Uh, (laughs) And (laughs) finally, it it is a marathon. It is definitely not a sprint. And it takes time to get it to the point that I'm happy with it to share with someone. And when I published the first draft to you, Steve, and to you, Jennifer, and all the other voice performers, I was hoping I had not reverted to my dialogue writing tendencies of the first few seasons where it just sounded like different versions of myself. But rather, I tried to retain the pattern and mannerisms of the characters' performers. And for people listening to this commentary, I just didn't 
you know, first meet Steve when he became the voiceover person for the show. Steve was at my wedding in 2018. And I think Steve, like online, we've been interacting for the better part of a decade now. So I already knew, actually, in hoping that you would voice Garrison, that I was trying to have it so that your patterns and mannerisms came through a little bit. But at the same time, I didn't want it to be Steve, just like I didn't want you know, for it to be Avery. Jennifer, I don't think for a moment that you are Avery. But I, <laughs> just so that it was a little easier for the voice performers to kind of get into the zone of, gee, this is how I would say this. I would never say this. I would never do this, but this is how I would say it. So I wanted to do all of that in the context of the performers' actions and motivations themselves. So hopefully I succeeded, or at the very least, that when we finally got to the final draft of scripts, which was for season seven, 1.3. So there were actually three different versions. I honestly don't recall a lot of the mannerisms particularly changing, but Dark Cloud, who edited season seven, and Jennifer and Steve can attest to this as well, seeing Dark Cloud's notes, where he goes like line by line, episode by episode, with questions and suggestions for changing it, that hopefully it comes across, that it flows. Oh, absolutely. And now that I know I was cast for this role, I thought when I was reading it, it didn't sound too unlike me to read some of the lines. So um, I think you succeeded very well, Dan. For Garrison as well as Jacob, who is voiced by Jordan Lund, Jennifer's husband, is I wanted to have them have some kind of background, even though Jacob clearly already has more significant connections, say, to Avery. I will admit Jacob was initially a means to give Avery some depth, but I didn't want Jacob to be one-dimensional, even though I knew he was only going to be in three or four episodes, just like all the characters only in three or four episodes. But Garrison as well, to have a little bit of background so you can start to get to know Garrison as an individual, as opposed to Garrison relative to all of the other characters. I don't need to do that. I, I hope it didn't come across as too forced, but in some respects, I'm like, if it comes across as forced here and there, I'm okay with that. Because as I've said before, if people are not connected with the characters, it doesn't matter what they're saying, what they're doing, or how they're doing it. You're just not going to care. You're either not going to root for the characters to either succeed or fail. <laughs> and it's just not going to make for as, as entertaining listening. I will say that <laughs> seeing from time to time the flurry of edits that come up, because I, I do have myself most times signed into Skype on my phone, and so I'll see the notifications coming up. Boom, 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 boom. And if I'm trying to do something else, my immediate thought is something I can't say on a family podcast. <laughs> substitute in you know the anyway blast it go away <laughs> but that is a momentary annoyance and i realize that that pays off later in dialogue that is maybe stylized but not stilted kind of give it a more natural flow in conversation, they feel like characters are tripping over their words trying to get something out that is awkward. Well, but more than that, it's it's what you said about having run these scripts through a filter that is really, really thorough. It doesn't come off as the characters are just different versions of Dan and Drag. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's an image nobody wanted, but there it is for you. Okay. <laughs> Poor Steve even knows more what I look like than you do, so he may be cringing in particular. <laughs> 
one of my favorite season openers ever. And I know in the past, Dark Cloud, you have been very particular about the season opener being this, that, and the other thing. And when you sent me your feedback, I noticed, oh, there's feedback on episode one, but there's not the usual, oh my gosh, Dan, I, I know this is the first episode, but we've got to have this tone and that tone. And don't you think it should be better, this, that, and the other thing? So you definitely helped make the first episode, like all these other episodes, better, but the first episode wasn't the usual comparative train wreck as the other episodes, so I'm grateful for that. <laughs> Either you're getting better or I'm getting used to it. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> or Dan has properly onboarded your feedback. Yeah, yeah, I anticipated, oh, DC will say this if I write that. Ah, oh, gee, okay, fine. Creating <laughs> synergies for greater progress. So I'll actually start with you, Steve. Yes, we're on to now. Which episode this season is your favorite and why? And I have a prediction what your favorite episode is for a very specific reason, but I may or may not be correct. So I, I guess we'll find out here in a moment. What's your favorite? Well, obviously the one where I'm introduced. Oh, gee, I was correct. Okay. All right. But, I mean, having said that, and that's just because I'm full of it, but I um, wouldn't say I have necessarily a favorite episode. I have favorite lines throughout the season. Like, there's the one line that struck me as I'm reading again. It was like, where is Riley saying something about, uh, is this spot taken? And Hudson responds, well, that's just pretty sensitive, except common in a, <laughs> in a cemetery. And I was like, oh, that's a great line, Dan. There are lines throughout this season where I find well-written, especially like where Max comes in. Wherever he appears with his voice, it just makes me smile. I don't know what it is. I will say that Max is a favorite to write, and he helps brighten whatever episode he happens to be in. The comment about Hudson saying to Avery, you're pregnant with his child, referring to Caden, was episode 702 quotable, which is the one where... Jennifer felt she once again needed to have a shower, which is quite understandable. And the cemetery line is actually from my favorite episode, which is episode 706, Boomerang, and also one of my favorite lines in the show. <laughs> but I'll talk more about episode uh, 706 in a bit. And Steve, you're certainly not the first performer to say that I don't have a favorite episode per se, but favorite line or lines. So since you referenced episode 706 with that line in my head, that's another point for episode 706, even though this is a non-scoring commentary. Jennifer, if your favorite episode was not episode 706, we will move on. No, that, that's fine. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> doc marks for Avery. I mean, she's already, she already gets lots of doc marks anyway. This yeah, I was going to say, exactly. Avery's already punched her e-ticket to hell anyway. <laughs> what more is there to lose? <laughs> she, she, she still has points. What was your favorite episode in this season and why? <sighs> I always feel bad when these questions come up because I have a hard time picking favorites. I think just for sheer WTFery. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's I, always a good measure for this show. And there's a yeah. lot of it. That's saying something when you have a favorite. Yeah, I do think that I'm going to have to say 7-2, and not just because, yes, I like seeing what my evil twin is up to, but the whole just getting to the telenovela portion of the proceedings at the end of that episode where it's like, and you're pregnant with his child, reading the script and, and the whole sort of the dramatic chipmunk video from Yanzago. 
<laughs> like, holy crap, wait, what? <laughs> I will add, with regards to episode 702, there was one line from it from Hudson, which stands out to me, which is, what is Reese finding unsettling, creepy, and hurtful, and how can I help? Is, <laughs> yeah, true. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> was just kind of Hudson to a T. I mean, Hudson and Reese, they're family, but if it the, you might love your family, but you don't necessarily like them. I don't think there's right. love or like there in that particular case. I'd like to think not reducing one more turn to a soap opera, as I don't want it to be who is sleeping with who. I don't want it to be a soap opera. I don't want it to be Grey's Anatomy is to medical drama shows about who's sleeping <laughs> with who. But having Hudson and Avery come together just kind of seemed like they were both angry and frustrated with not being with anybody. So it was, you know, whatever poured on the storm. Let's not forget that these two really do kind of deserve each other. <laughs> oh, I agree. Yeah, when one ticks off the other person, it's just kind of, yes, and there's so much alike that maybe they shouldn't be together for that reason. You know, the opposite to track, they're not particularly opposite, but I agree. It's just kind of, but you're both getting your just desserts. So as I already alluded to, my favorite episode was episode 706, Boomerang. Close second with episode 7 or 8 parameters with regards to Carson and Bella's interaction. And to kind of speak for Anna Lee here at the moment, and actually Anna Lee Cartamano and Barney, who voiced Bella, and Scott Alvashar-Dirk, who voices Carson. Why are these two married? Which is similar to the why are Hudson and Avery together? I think it's easier to answer the why are Hudson and Avery together as opposed to why are Carson and Bella married. But in episode 706, we've got Riley and Nora. They're speaking to one another again in kind of a deep, meaningful, introspective way, even more than in the season opener, because Nora acknowledges her concern that she and Max may be growing apart like they did when she was pregnant with their twins. She introduces the idea aloud that Riley and Caleb might have been, maybe could even still be more than just friends. And Nora helps Riley to understand that her frustration with her in the delivery room was more in the moment than anything long-lasting, going so far as to call Riley family, and Riley reacting so, when Nora's like, oh, what's with that look, that sappy, sappy look? I wanted it to kind of be that aww moment, that kind of Kodak, even though they don't sponsor the show still, that Kodak tender moment that you're perhaps not used to, as I kind of felt that the opportunity for Riley and Nora to have a sister-like relationship had kind of drifted off from that scene. And given other things that were going on in their characters' lives and those that they were around, really meant that they weren't in each other's orbit again. And so having this, hmm, Riley's no longer working in town. She works out of town. Nora needs to go out of town to go into the city to go into campus for her psychology classes. Hey, Maybe Nora could give Riley a ride, and then these car rides would have an opportunity for them to interact. I mean, they could sit there in silence forever how long the ride was going to be or listen to music or Riley could be on her phone or something like that. But I thought, no, let's use this as an opportunity for them to have a conversation. But the other reason that I liked episode 706 is Hudson and Riley have their first interaction in almost a full season. They last interacted in episode 612. We're not going to count episode 618 because that was all in Caden's head. None of that actually really happened. This is a brief, poignant, and Steve already mentioned the humorous aspect. And I think this also, episode 706, sets the stage for what continues seamlessly into episode 707, which it's rare for me to write one episode. And then the start of the very next episode, almost no time has passed, and you're still following those same characters. Which, of course, then leads to Garrison's introduction in episode 707, where... 
as we talked about when we recorded these episodes, we learned that Riley has a type, and that type is older men who actually don't want to be in a relationship with her, but Riley somehow managed to convince Gary to be in a relationship with her, and it kind of seems like Riley's fishing for that with Garrison, and uh, Garrison was willing to flirt a little bit for the purposes of being the campaign manager for Pedro, but made it quite clear that I'm not interested in a romantic relationship with you. But as Riley is self-absorbed, she doesn't pick up on that yet. This is one of only a couple of episodes that only features two characters. Wow, Avery and Reese. Wow. Oh, boy. Episode 704, understanding. The two of you got to carry the whole episode. You know, no pressure. You you got this. this. (laughs) Not at all. Right. (laughs) We're good. perhaps easier than to talk about your favorite episode, even when you're trying to pick out an episode at all, is to talk about the episode that is your least favorite and why. What about you, Jennifer? Do you have a least favorite episode, even if it's because this did get said or it didn't get said or this happened or this didn't happen? And therefore, I guess by default, Dan, if you want me to answer the question, this makes it my least favorite. Um, again, It's tough to pick a most or a least because it is kind of like trying to pick favorites with children. I don't know. I mean, I guess, (laughs) and I feel a little bit mean to say this, but the whole bit with Overshare, episode 11, It was just really kind of dense. And then the whole kind of side quest with Garrison and the name. And it's like, (laughs) oh, God, next. (laughs) You know, I don't think I've heard you express that since the last time there was gaming in the episode, in an episode when there was actually a reference to the multiplayer gaming happening and the details about, as you said, it just seemed to be kind of a side thing that really had no place other than an opportunity for Garrison to monologue. Yes. The word I was looking for was as the root for exposition to expose. <laughs> to expose and expose and, and oh, God, shut up. <laughs> yeah, he does have a lot to say in that episode, that's for sure. A lot to say, but not really saying anything. Perhaps yeah. in some respects, yeah. Yes, a certain amount of word salad. Yeah, he shot his mouth off. Actually, when I was reading the script, I'm going, Jesus, I don't want to talk anymore. Um, <laughs> but uh, you critique me. I was doing it too quickly, and I think it was because I was trying to get through the lines as fast as possible because I was started hearing, reading it. So, yeah, I think I agree with you there. Um, yeah, episode 711 is probably my least favorite. And on that same topic, Dan, I had initially thought episode one was my least favorite because I was trying so hard to figure out what was going on and being introduced to all these to- and and my head's thinking around it all the time. But now I think that's probably the least favorite for me now, too. And then the whole bit about explaining the conceit, and this carries over into 712 about the whole uh, last names thing. I mean, <sighs> You sort of hung a lampshade on something that maybe didn't need to be talked about. So, yeah. Yes, the recurring, we don't use last names in this town, except for Carson and Caleb, you know who. They're the only ones that we know the last names for, and that is purposeful. And I will say now, I never, ever intend to give any of the other characters a last name officially. I've never even thought in my mind what their last name is. Placeholder. (laughs) Garrison placeholder, Nora placeholder, which is also kind of creepy because 
they're not all related, although sometimes it somehow seems like they are because they're just in each other's orbit all of the time. When we were recording season seven episodes and I was talking about the naming thing, which led to a lot of verbiage from Garrison and the explanation, maybe this was just kind of my way of saying, I am going to find a way to incorporate this and I'm going to stick it all into one episode so it doesn't spill over too much. But I can definitely see how, and you know, it's just scrolling through the script when you see the name and then you see how many lines this person is speaking before somebody else speaks. It does kind of change the pacing of it. I do not intend for Garrison to talk about it at length anymore. <laughs> well, Good. You know who, as a proper name, uh, just, <laughs> just absolutely smacked of the guffin in a particular movie literally being named Unobtainium. <laughs> <laughs> it's a corny factor, I know. Episode 711 wasn't my least favorite, but Steve, you actually mentioned what is my least favorite episode briefly, which is the very next episode. Episode 712, Overture, was my least favorite. And interestingly enough, my distant second least favorite episode is episode 701, which Steve, you cited as initially your least favorite. I had a different reason, simply because I've been around since the first season because I've written it, right? Um, right? I felt the action was a bit forced in episode 701, but for 712, it features only two characters, which is Garrison is one of them and, and Jacob is the other. And these are the two new characters this season. I have a bit of a confession to make. When I was writing the show, one of the things, and this is probably not the best way to go about this, but I was being really particular in my mind that I didn't want one character to have more than four episodes. I wanted them, this has been kind of a concerted effort since, I'd have to go back and, and check, but like since season six, got a little distorted because I added six episodes in the end. But I decided if I only have each character in three or four episodes, then I can make them quality appearances and it makes it easier to develop an ensemble cast as long as I keep them somewhat interconnected. And I was plotting out the season and I was like, okay, so hmm, I've got Garrison only at two episodes and I've got Jacob at three. And they're like the only two characters that are quote-unquote not at their max yet. So it was from that point that I decided, okay, we're going to have an episode with just the two of them. Now, what the bleep are they going to talk about? The fact that they're only two characters, and these are characters new this season, meaning that there's absolutely no background. So there's no history for either one of them. I found it kind of difficult to impress their personality into their actions. And also, both of them are effective proxies to other plot points either ostensibly because Garrison is Pedro's campaign manager because he's the one running for mayor, not Garrison, or an effective proxy because Jacob is representing Caleb because Caleb's off at gambling rehab. I mean, episode 712, yes, it does provide some relevant, maybe even some rich or rich-like backstory, but in seeming report form, right, because Jacob and Garrison are just kind of commenting to each other. It's almost kind of like, as I said, report form, book report form. Oh, that's really fascinating, almost documentary style without any kind of interesting visuals or sound effects, just lots of blah, 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 blah. And quite honestly, not helping either of these characters stand apart from the others, let alone as separate entities. Garrison is, well, I'm speaking on behalf of Pedro. Like This is in relation to Pedro's campaign, because Caleb wants to contribute to Pedro's campaign off the books. And there's even reference to Gary helping make sure that this is possible and it doesn't get caught and there's no legal problems, which also goes back to the Doe contract, which is both the positive and negative aspect. You know, it's one of those things you write and it's like, I can't completely ignore this. 
and I want to make it relevant, but not go on and on about it either. So to me, episode 712 is this could have been in part of one episode and maybe in terms of the plot point that aspect in terms of the campaign contribution but in terms of the character development rather than trying to force that into an episode to flesh out a full episode just sprinkle it in where it might fit otherwise in subsequent seasons and interacting with other people like it didn't just have to be jacob and garrison just out of curiosity dan why not introduce pedro in that episode there's there's no dialogue with pedro in this was that a conscious decision that was a conscious decision pedro has been referenced since the very beginning of the show he is the character that is referred to and has a name, but never has any speaking roles. If you're familiar with Fraser, Niles Crane's wife, Maris, I kind of modeled it on that, which is Maris mm-hmm. and Fraser is referred to constantly and impacts what Niles is doing and what's going on with Fraser and the other characters, but she never appears. She's never seen. She's never directly heard from. Pedro is that equivalent. Where oh, okay. Or Norm's wife from Cheers. Yeah, because when I was reading this, I'm going, okay, when do I speak to Pedro? I'm the campaign manager. I should say something to Pedro. But now that you've explained it, I understand. Well, see, Garrison is saying stuff to Pedro. They just can't say anything when the episode is being recorded. Oh, I get you. (laughs) Pedro knows, oh, it's time for an episode. So I I, 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 I can't be here right now. Just missed him. You just missed him. I appreciate your, okay, let me try to figure out what's going on here. Where does Garrison fit in? Who are all these other people? And oh my gosh, I maybe I should have just stuck to the voiceovers. I don't know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and the fact that everyone seems to hate Garrison as a character. So um, yeah, that makes uh, they're the least favorite episodes for two of you and for me now. So yeah, okay, good to go over the character development. Now I'm starting to understand better from just doing this uh, particular uh, commentary that now that I'm understanding where this all comes together. Then that is an excellent segue into the next question. The whole thing about the naming of the spear and the fortified town and stuff like that, I came across that completely incidentally when I was trying to decide on names for characters. How, what am I going to name Gary's cousin? And then that was Garrison, and then it mentioned Garibaldi, and I saw the similarities, and I just thought, oh my gosh, this is so nerdy, this is happening. Seemed really, really into telling everyone that story. Like, hey, hey, did, did I tell you this story yet? <laughs> did you hear the story about my name and how cool it is? <sighs> yeah. There's like three males named something Spear. I mean, uh, you know, somebody compensating, like I don't know. Spear. <laughs> yeah, Heather, when you read that line about, so that means that that was the 90 minutes of one of my afternoons finding this out and researching this. And I'm like, wow, this is going on the show. That was never the intention before I started writing the scripts. So that was completely. <laughs> and so I enjoyed giving my character the line. That is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Because, of course, I wrote it. Who is your favorite character in season seven and why? I'd like to take that one to start off with. This is a character that I twice before mentioned as my favorite in both seasons three and season five and now season seven. Actually, the only character that I've chosen more than once as my favorite, that's Nora. Before I get into the reasons, did either of you pick Nora as your favorite character? Ooh, um, no. I do not have her as my favorite character. I find myself, to my eternal shame, much more drawn to the drama factories. 
<laughs> oh, fair enough. And it's true. Nora is kind of the... She's very steady and very sweet. And I'm sure that I would probably like her just fine as a real person. But she's maybe, I don't know, a bit of a snooze. I understand. When you're looking for a drama factory, Nora kind of shuts that down pretty... Uh, <laughs> yes. Pretty consistently. Why I like Nora is actually kind of tied into the not being drama in the drama factory. I just find that she is a nice break and she is kind of the mother to a lot of these characters, including those that are older than her. Speaking of, she provides marriage mediation. And I love how constantly characters are like, oh, you're providing sessions. I am not providing sessions. I am not a psychiatrist yet. There is also the part in episode 703 when she... (laughs) As an exchange with Bella, and Bella wants to know the secret to a long-lasting marriage. And Nora's like, just keep working away at communication and understanding, like any relationship, really. And (laughs) Bella scoffs. Oh, that was not insightful. Uh, (laughs) But she also provides general relationship advice to Riley, which was friends fight, families fight. It's our human nature. She helps Riley to understand that her frustration with her in the delivery room was more in the moment than anything else long-lasting, again, back to episode 706. She tries to help Riley figure out and to act upon her true feelings towards Caleb. Not unless Riley thinks coffee could lead to something more. Nora also says that we can go back to the rumor mill that is you and Caleb having an unspoken thing for each other, uh, which also includes the great line when Riley's like, one person can run a mill. I didn't say how well the mill would be run. Uh <laughs> <laughs> and Nora tries to distance herself, Max, and their family from the Doe contract affair for their own peace of mind. When Nora's like, why should I, we care one way or another about that? We're not involved. Yet at the same time, she still commits some serious volunteer time to Pedro's political campaign to fight against its pursuit. Because Max says we should care about it because our friends are impacted by this. And despite going back to school full time and trying to help raise two twins two toddlers, she still finds time to volunteer for Pedro's political campaign, which is how she and Garrison end up having any kind of interaction whatsoever. Nora also acknowledges her concern, and I alluded to this before, that she and Max may be growing apart like they did when she was pregnant with their children. And I still remember Blauer Fackel, Christopher Blauer Fackel, writer, who voiced Gary when we were doing the season four commentary when he said, these two are headed to divorce. And there was general consensus. Everyone thought these two were headed for divorce. I made their fighting perhaps a little too strong. Nora initially tries to hide the fact that she's volunteering for a different political campaign, which you might think, oh, geez, Nora's starting to hide seemingly innocuous information from Max. That's not healthy. Maybe this is the start of something not good. But Nora also, you know, drops off and picks up Riley from work. Nora also expresses her frustration at Riley's self-absorption. So you acknowledge not everything is about you. Although I think to the drama factor. I think the most drama Nora brings is in episode 711 when she's talking to Carson. You have quite the nerve showing your face anywhere near here, like we need any deserters coming back and presuming to tell us how to conduct our affairs. Which to me is Nora saying, get the fuck out. Honestly, is that's just not Nora. Nora is that perpetual, we can have progression. Things can be better. Things will get better. And while that can be grating, I know, Jennifer, you said you might quite like to know her if she was a real person. It's kind of weird. I'm like, I kind of like her as a favorite character, but for how positive she is sometimes, I think she would probably get on my nerves. Or please, especially now that you're going for formal training, do not psychoanalyze me unless I want you to. 
I feel like she would do that unsolicited. And it's, you know, I'm so glad you've got your life together, but I don't need your commentary on mine when I didn't ask for it. So I think she would drive me up the wall, but I'd be perfectly happy to send her your way or (laughs) anybody else's way that would like her. (laughs) I think if I have any kind of a least favorite anything about Nora, it's that she invariably involved Max. You don't like Max? It's not that I dislike Max. It's that he sets my teeth on edge. He's sweet in very, very, very small doses. (laughs) So Max is a really strong espresso. (laughs) Yeah, okay. I get what you mean. Yeah. And Nora is a coffee that's been sitting out for a few hours. No, Nora is the um, sweetened condensed milk you dump into the espresso to make it palatable. But either one of them on their own are a little bit much (laughs) for different reasons. So when opposites attract, they're perfect for each other. Well, sure, but even the combination can be something that maybe you don't want to consume too much of. Is this the part where you tell me, yes, Dan, I support you're only having characters in three or four episodes a season because more of Nora or Max would just be too much. Or it already already is too much. We don't need more of too much. <laughs> well, I don't know that it's – yeah, I mean – It's interesting that you've said you're making a conscious effort to do that. I think you may have said that once before in one of our other commentaries. I don't remember, but it makes sense to my logical brain. So I get where you're coming from. And yeah, I would not watch or listen to a spinoff that, you know, maybe the... (laughs) version uh the family sitcom version of max and nora and the hair removal salon and their toddlers and in-laws and you know shoot me now (laughs) it does so happen that as of this season max no longer has the laser hair removal he's a gaming content creator now on youtube oh god max would be a youtuber oh yep he live stream games Oh. <laughs> and, and that just makes me twitchy to think about. Ah, twitchy, twitch. Neither Twitch nor YouTube sponsor this show, but they really <laughs> should. They really should. <laughs> okay, so since you said that you like characters that bring the drama, ooh, who is Jennifer going to say? is her favorite character. Part of me wants to say you're going to say Avery, even though that would be a little self-fulfilling necessarily. Okay, you tell me, and then I'll see if I'm right. But I'll say right now, I don't think you're going to say Avery. No, because that is a bit self-referential, and I like to hope I'm not that far up my own behind. Um, (laughs) Not that far, not that far. (laughs) You know, I can still see daylight. Um, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you, haven't, you haven't gone around the bend. All right. That's <laughs> yeah. Okay. Wow. That was an image that nobody needed. Sorry. <laughs> Dan and drag. And now look at that. We're, we're having a whole collection of images nobody needed on an audio only show. This is impressive. Yeah. <laughs> and we're not even all here. <laughs> uh, this is rather less silly than I was anticipating. And I'm okay with that. <laughs> no, if I, I think if I had a 
favorite. It's with respect to their relationship to Avery. I love the way that she and Bella rub up against each other. They're just hilarious together. Oh, so your favorite character is Bella. Who did you think I was going to say? For the drama, I thought you might actually say Evelyn. <sighs> That's the sigh of I, Dan. I thought you knew me better than that. I'm disappointed on some scale right now, but I'll get no, over it. No, 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 no. <laughs> that is a pained sigh of that particular relationship between Bella and her mom. A little close to the bone for me in reality. Uh, Suffice to say that I don't want to call it, it's not like a full on triggery or anything, but yeah, we see a lot in fiction of people's bad behavior explained away by, oh, they had a rough childhood. And that kind of formative trauma being played for either character development or giggles. And either way, it's like, eh, I don't know. I mean, yeah, sure, it's entertaining if you can walk away from it because it's fiction for you, but some of us can't. (laughs) Evelyn kind of skated off my brain, I think, as a conscious sort of defense mechanism for me. Sorry, I didn't mean to be Captain Brain down there for a second. No, that's okay. When we recorded the season two commentary, I remember Ecat, who was the, the assistant editor for season two, actually said that Avery reminded him of someone in his life, and it was very mm-hmm. triggering in that way. So as a writer, i got to be careful how I phrase this, but I'm happy that you've connected to that character, that it's related to your life. I'm sorry that's specifically, but I understand why you're not going to pick her for that reason. Yeah. I can definitely see the Bella thing, particularly in relation to Avery. So let's explore that a little more. You like the relationship. I'll put like in quotation marks because that may be because it's a train wreck. (laughs) But you like the relationship between Avery and Bella. Is it just, quote unquote, just or primarily the relationship between Avery and Bella? Because you've said Bella is your favorite character, but at the same time, Bella and Evelyn, no thank you. Yeah, pretty much. Bella is interesting. It's weird. I mean, so much of this show is just how people rub up against each other. So I think it is more Bella's character in relation to, and not just uh, in relation to Avery, but in relation to the other characters. I particularly enjoy Avery and Bella getting their evil on together. (laughs) And with Bella being your favorite character, I can't help but ask Bella and Carson, not just being together, but they're married. Did this help you keep Bella or make Bella your favorite character this season? Or was it more, you know, in spite of it? That part just kind of like, wait, married? (laughs) (laughs) Like, you know, okay, uh, (laughs) sure. I guess I can imagine these two playing house. Um, okay. <laughs> well, they are adopting a cat together. Oh, God. Is it, ro- <laughs> is it wrong that I saw those references and I was like, I can meow credibly? <laughs> Adopt Avery. Adopt Avery as their cat. <laughs> no, I mean, myself as a performer. Oh. 
Well, you have purred in the past as Avery, so I don't remember off the top what what who Avery was interacting with, but I do remember you got that on one take, so I could see that. And hear that? Oh. <laughs> 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 I've never chosen Bella as my least favorite, and she's not my least favorite this season either. But I don't know if I ever remember anybody saying that Bella was their favorite before. That's so I, I've been fascinating, fascinating in a good way. Okay, cool. <laughs> I'm sorry, I didn't mean to break your brain by purring in your ear. <laughs> no, it's 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 quite all right. I Steve may have rebooted. I don't know. Um, my ear? No. <laughs> here just staying quiet listening okay bella sold her stake in the debt buying business to reese so it's now avery and reese working together as opposed to bella and avery working together so do you think jennifer that this has been a good thing for avery and bella's relationship or are you already missing that even more intricate interaction in other words Bella's my favorite character, but she'd be even more my favorite character if Avery and Bella would still be together, if for nothing but the dysfunction. I mean, I realize that the relationships in this show are a bit of a revolving door. (laughs) So they might not be spending tons of quality time together now, but who the bleep knows what's going to happen in another season or two. Avery and Bella do not appear in any episode together in season seven. Yes, huh? Oh, wait. Oh, man, you're right. Maybe it's not active. I mean, there still is a relationship. There still definitely is a history with Avery. And maybe you're picking up on maybe Bella has been influenced by Avery in some ways that maybe Bella isn't even aware. And this is a good thing, whether it's I'm going to behave more like Avery or less like Avery. Either way, it was influenced by Avery. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, and I have to admit, as much as it kind of weirded me out in 703, where it's like, oh my God, Bella and Carson are what? It was still adorable in a weird, twitchy sort of way. (laughs) (laughs) So, Steve. Yes, yes, sir. Your favorite character wasn't Nora, was your favorite character Bella, or is it somebody completely different? Well, I liked Avery, and I'm not just saying that because Jennifer's on the call, but I thought the voice was perfect. It read naturally. I could follow very easily her storyline as she's performing. I like the story of revolving around her. Um, so I would say Avery is my, my most favorite. I like Max. His unique voice was a nice, you know, unique interruption into the flow. Oh, Max and Nora, good to have you back. You two are the calm in the storm of the series. Except for that one season where everyone thought you were headed for divorce, but there. besides that. Indubitably. That Max is involved in any way in any sort of calm. <laughs> it's been pretty crazy with those two, but it's been fun, too. Comparative calm, as compared to a lot of the other characters. Just, just, something, just something reassuring about Max and Nora, you know? I don't have a least favorite character. I've just been going through the script going, I can't find any one person I disliked. That uh... Uh, This is the sneaky teacher trick that I referred to, where who is your least favorite character? doesn't mean you dislike anybody, but that could very well be at the same time. I'm not saying, oh, crap, Dan's got me, now I've got to answer the question. It could simply be that all of your characters are favorites in some way, 
Like you said, you were able to follow Avery's storyline. You like the sound of Max's voice. So you find something positive enough in every character that you don't, strictly speaking, have a least favorite character or at least none that's worthy of identifying as least favorite. So I'm willing to give, I'm, especially since this is your first commentary, Steve, I'm willing to let you off the hook this once. <laughs> okay. If I was going to pick anybody going through the script again, it would probably be Riley. <laughs> I'm only laughing because why does this not come as a surprise to me at all? That's I don't know why. Riley wasn't my least favorite character this season, but she was my least favorite character in seasons four and five, and she's the only character I've picked more than once. Oh, um, okay. I'm just going to throw out an expression and tell me, Steve, if you feel that this helps at least begin to encapsulate why Riley is your least favorite character. Woman, child. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, <laughs> I, I agree with that. Yeah, yeah, I, and it wasn't the fact that Mackie did a bad job of reading or anything. It was just I remember listening to the show when we were recording it. I was like, oh, just didn't like the sound of her interaction with everybody else. Woman, child is a good point. Yep, I agree with that. Totally. 100 percent. Bang on. Manchild was a reference to Caleb constantly, with which everybody calling him out on. But someone said woman child. I think it might have been Scott Alpha Shard Dirk that had said that the first time. But somebody said it the first time, and I was like, yes, that's exactly who Riley is. And we actually got that expression, woman child. In fact, it was Jacob who called her that. Garrison had said, you know, I'm going to stick to women in my own age bracket. And Jacob's like, that's the reason you're not going to go with Riley. You shouldn't be with Riley because she's woman child. Also referencing back to Nora being my favorite character, again, Riley is very, very self-absorbed. Everything comes back to her, and even if it's not about her, she manages to make it about her, which really is Riley's superpower. It's a superpower no one should have or be grateful that they have, but she's very good at making anything and everything about her. So totally get having her be least favorite. Riley was close to my least favorite, but ah, this is a character that I mentioned before. Perhaps I purposely made her not likable because Bella started off being the least likable character on the show, in my mind, the one that I tried to make the least likable. Then I introduced Avery and tried to make her the least likable. <laughs> then I introduced Reese and tried to make her the least likable. Now Evelyn the least likable, and someone might be thinking, Dan, why are you trying to make all of the least likable characters women? What's going on? Are you some kind of sexist? I don't think so, but it's Evelyn. Evelyn is my least favorite character. Yeah, I mean, in the presence of Hudson, we can't accuse you of making all of your least <laughs> characters women. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Hudson is definitely an exception. And one of the reasons, this as a brief aside, I like to voice Hudson because he's not me. As for Evelyn, she, oh, and the thing is, here's the other fantastical thing. You, Evelyn, are only in two Two episodes, the fewest of any character this season, and it's only her third and fourth overall, having been introduced in two episodes last season. That's right, there were 19 episodes in season six, ultimately, and you were still only in two. And <laughs> even being in two episodes, you've managed to be the least favorite character, which to me at least ties into my effort of not having a character be in more than four episodes. So that essentially, oh, you know, this character was in six episodes, but two times they were saying a line that could have been said by anybody. I didn't want that. I wanted the lines to be purposeful because I wanted them to be purposeful in the scene, which is no one else could say those lines. They had to be in the scene to make it work. So what's going on with me that makes Evelyn the least favorite character? Not the least favorite character to write, mind you, but just channeling all of the, gosh, I hate these kind of people. So fine, let's, let's concentrate this in Evelyn. Specifically, she maintains that she's coming back into Bella's life to parent. 
But besides the fact that Bella makes it clear she does not want this, when Bella says in episode 705, I cannot recall the last time I had anything nice to say about speaking with you, Evelyn quickly abandons this, I came back to town because Gary reminded me that I should parent. The fact that Gary would have to do that. Oh my gosh, I'm even going on a tangent on my tangent. But anyway, Bella quickly abandons this, I'm coming back to parent you, Bella. When she says the practical, I came back to town, you know, because Gary reminded me to parent, but then you left town, Bella. I was getting ready to leave myself, but then she says, I'm going to stay because I want to become mayor. Not only does she stay for herself, but then she asks Bella, will you be my campaign manager? Presumptively felt that Bella would agree, which to me was actually the biggest, oh my gosh, Bella, what are you doing moment when Bella agreed to do that. But Evelyn, again, you're not there to parent Bella. You've now found a... You found a reason to come back in Bella's life, and you found a purpose for Bella, which is to help you do something. You, you're taking a page from Riley, even though you don't really know that writer that well, and you're making it all about you. She also, to a lesser extent perhaps, she dismisses her mother-in-law's assisting in raising Bella after she herself left Bella's life, while dismissing a living arrangement of Max and Nora's that she knows nothing of and was not asked to provide input when she goes, oh, I couldn't have had Gary's mother living with us. Even though Bella put her in her place and said, yeah, well, she still did more for me than you. So what does that say about you? Avalyn noses herself into inferring and then questioning how Bella is living her own life. Are you gaming again? Still? Evelyn provides unwanted and unhelpful input into her daughter's past relationships. Even though we're not necessarily going to disagree with this, I don't disagree with this, Evelyn says to Bella, Hudson was a step up from Caleb to be sure, but that's like scoring 20% on a test over 10%. Uh, Which, it's kind of one of those things, I don't disagree with you, Evelyn, but you're not the one to be saying that, okay? Yet, no one asks for your input. Evelyn then comments on the particulars of the Doe contract, which she knows nothing about, yet promises as part of her political campaign that she's going to effectively ignore. Like she talks about Doe being unpleasant, but then her campaign's just going to ignore it whatsoever. So if it's unpleasant, why aren't you saying that you're going to do something about this? And lastly, Evelyn has a distorted, indeed inflated sense of her contributions into the lives of others. Specifically with Max, in episode 710, she's like, the question... Why has Max, was it, walked into our campaign office? It's true that I did help him the very first time we met. And Bella's like, um, Max ignored your advice. So what, you think Max is coming into your campaign office because he feels he owes you something for helping him? And by the way, yes, he does owe you something. It's just the hair on the back of my neck stands up (laughs) when I'm thinking about Evelyn. No one here is liking Evelyn, are they? Not really. No. <laughs> and when you brought it up, I didn't really have an opinion against her or, or her. But now that you've spoke about it, I went, eh, yeah, she's probably the least likable person now. Yep. Yeah, unwanted, unwarranted, and unsolicited. Maybe that should be her campaign slogan. About that? Maybe she <laughs> should be the one that gets murdered. So. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. So we have a scale of aggression that just got adjusted. And (laughs) yeah, it all goes to 11. (laughs) I guess maybe just on that point, not that I'm thinking that Evelyn should be the one that was murdered, but if she was, would anybody do anything but perhaps shrug their shoulders and trying to understand why? Like, well, it was was almost inevitable. You know, what was it finally? I don't think anybody would be surprised, nor do I think anybody would shed a tear, which is. She had it coming. She had it coming. She only had herself to blame. 
And my musical reference contribution to this, when I think of Evelyn, I think of Elton John's The Bitch is Back. Ah, uh, that exchange between mother and daughter is just so full of love, spite and bile. Love, yeah, <laughs> giant, the most giant air quotes you've ever seen or heard of in your life. <laughs> yeah. So it's one more turn, a fiction podcast full of terrible, terrible people. You know what? I ha- I'm having fun that Bella gets mad a lot, but she gets mad differently. And I think that's kind of fun to play. She gets mad differently. Oh, I think she's mad at her mother in a different way than when she gets mad with other people. Does that make sense? Oh, yes. There's definitely a longer history and one of betrayal, something fierce. Where you, Italy, as uh, Bella, are like, well, I'm the adult in this relationship, so you got a lot of nerve. You're coming back to parent me, huh? Well, that's good for you. (laughs) The irony. I mean, she's she's not all bad. I mean, Bella is married on the West Coast with Carson, seemingly enjoying life. And then, oh, there's just something about this town where one more term takes place that keeps bringing you back. (laughs) For better or worse. What? Wait, what? (laughs) So hard to escape it. It's either for your character or any character, quite frankly, this season. What do you think his or her high and lows were? Who would like to start on that? Uh, Not me. Not it. All right, Steve. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, we are are so mature. That was one of the questions I couldn't answer, right? Because he's a brand new character. I don't really know what were the highs and lows. I mean... I would say the low was when he was rambling on about where his <laughs> name came from. That was probably that's a given. Um, and as a high, I don't really have a high. Perhaps the opening line where he's first introduced. But yeah, definitely the when he's going on about uh, his name, he sounds a bit of a prick, a pompous ass coming across there. And I don't know if you're trying to tell me something, Dan, but so thank you for that. <laughs> no, you, you realize you could turn that back on Dan and point out that he's really good at writing pompous asses. <laughs> and you write about what you know, so if it, if it rings true, right, then that's... Uh, uh... <laughs> oh, I mean, I think it's easier to come up with a low than it is a high, just because of the emotion associated with it. And I know when we were recording Season 7, Scott Alvashar, darker voices Carson, said that, oh my gosh, Garrison was so excited about, hey, do you know about my name? How about my name? Do you know how I got my name? How you got my name? And, I mean, he is a political creature. He talks about that this has been his job for the better part of a couple of decades, helping many political candidates be successful. And... Well, since candidates do have to talk a lot about themselves inherently in the job, and then that might be how they're predisposed, I think that's just, well, Jennifer even said, you know, characters rubbing off on each other. Maybe that's just something that's rubbed off on Garrison, that a way to feel important is to talk about himself, even when if it's about something as trivial as his name. Well, <laughs> All right, Jennifer. I can Jennifer. talk about a lot of trivial things, so personally. But... <laughs> oh, okay, so that's, uh, that's a trait you share with Garrison then. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, but I've not heard you go on and on about how you got your name, Steve. So I I don't think you're quite in the same league as Garrison, unless unless you've been waiting to tell that story. And this is the prompt for that. I don't know. (laughs) I have no real favorite line. Least favorite would be the the name thing. I think I've answered question six. Your turn now, Jennifer. Okay. Um, So so a high and a low. I think her high 
in terms of being kind of an engine to drive things would be 7-2, where it's the whole, and you're pregnant, dun-dun-dun. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know, I'm thinking that the low may actually be the conversation that she has with Hudson in 7-9, where she swears at him. I mean, she starts out by calling, yelling at him, calling him an asshole. And then, you know, it turns into what? A hate fuck? I don't know. The fine line between love and hate right there. Yeah, yeah. And it's the, the yeah, the, uh, the low where it's turned into from her, you know, yelling at Hudson who deserves it for existing and drawing breath. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Winner, winner, chicken dinner right there. I tell you. (laughs) Coy and undressing and, and (laughs) yeah, at least I can satisfy myself that I don't think it was actually Avery that put an end to this. I think it was Hudson that, that effectively cocklocked himself. Yes. <laughs> yes, because Avery referenced the time that she walked in on Bella at Hudson, which was her introduction to the series. She didn't even refer to it. She just said deja vu. And I... I thought that she was being a little bit funny about it, right? But no, Hudson has to go and freaking spell it out. Yep. Um, like, yeah. dude, you were about to get your winky waxed. What is wrong with you? Well, in this case, you know, Hudson always has a point, and he decided to point out another point, I guess. Well, I, I want to say he could, you know, couldn't quote, help himself, but he just maybe he found an opportunity to make out like he was better than somebody else. And I'm just going to point out to you that you shouldn't have said this for this reason, which of course makes him all the more quote unquote endearing. Um, Um, Yeah, no, he was trying to score a point, which totally kept him from scoring. (laughs) She said score. (laughs) (laughs) This was actually the third instance of the F word being used on the show. Oh, wow. Who were the first two? Was it separate other characters? You know, I also did that research and anticipating not only that question from someone, but I had that question myself. The first instance was back in season four in episode 411, said by Caleb to, ironically, Avery, who <laughs> doubly ironically responded, you will not take that tone with me. Oh, I <laughs> remember something about, yeah, I remember she was channeling her inner Elsa ice queen the second time was Gary saying it to Riley in frustration in episode 511. But Avery does get the award for using the word asshole for the first time on the show. Well, <laughs> gold star for me, I guess. There you go. The first time she uses asshole and the first time she uses the word fuck are both in yelling to Hudson in the same scene. So Yes. <laughs> Well, considering our previous conversation of being up somewhere, it's very appropriate. (laughs) (sighs) And Steve, you were saying you're having with your character, like, oh, gosh, you know, like a high moment or in in terms of a line that something Garrison might have said. And this was in episode 707 Surprises, where he says, call me cynical for being a political creature, but no favor I've heard of comes free. 
which I thought was uh, very on point. But perhaps my favorite exchange involving Garrison was between Garrison, Riley, and Hudson. Garrison to Riley, you're lovely. Riley, you're charming. Hudson says, you're delusional. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> but perhaps the most biting thing Garrison ever said, and it was a shot at Riley. Garrison makes a reference to Gary, which Hudson picks up right away. When Garrison's like, ah, yes, the adopted older brother. I was told about the fortunate lack of resemblance. And Hudson's like, oh, good Lord, let it not be so. And Riley's like, I don't understand what's going on. Hudson's like, Garrison knows Gary. And Garrison's like, well, I've known him my entire life. And so Riley says, oh, I'm finding my bearings here. Sounds like you're related to my ex-boyfriend. Garrison's like, should have been ex-fiance at least, having moved in together. But that was your idea. <laughs> and of course, Riley doesn't pick up on maybe now's not the time to try to turn on the charm for Garrison because Garrison's clearly not interested. I noticed that one, one of the lines here, Dan, where you actually allude to, uh, well, you, you actually say it, um, it says, between the three of us, I think he would have preferred Bella marrying Caleb, even over Carson. What is the man-child up to these days anyway? Mm-hmm. Now that you've talked about man-child and woman-child and all that stuff, it's funny how you worked that in. Thank you. And I, I've tried to do that. I tried to have those kind of references to past seasons where if you're not familiar with past seasons much, you might be like, oh, okay. But if you do remember past seasons, it's, oh, okay, there's continuity here. Oh, it makes sense that Garrison knows about these characters through Gary, because Gary would have heard that term man-child and used that himself. Garrison agreed to be the campaign manager for Pedro because Gary suggested to Pedro, you should ask my cousin Garrison, even though Gary turned him down. Talk about highs and lows for the character. You might think, oh my gosh, like why would Garrison bother have anything to do with this town? Because in that episode seven twelve, which I cited as my least favorite, Garrison makes it clear, I don't live in this town, do you? And Jacob's like, well, I used to. So Garrison, why are you here? Well, Garrison's here to do a job. Garrison is here to get his candidate elected. And perhaps even with a track record to serve it quite cockily, even though he doesn't know anything about local politics in the town, I can represent a candidate and get him elected because that's what I do. So I kind of feel like a high for Garrison is his confidence, and his low is, well, you've already alluded to it, his monologuing and monologuing about things that, ugh. And actually, I, I blame Hudson for this, because Hudson finally says, okay, okay, Garrison, please tell us the fascinating story behind your name. It's another reason to hate Hudson. It's, it's Hudson's fault that Garrison <laughs> ultimately started answering that question. <laughs> and in terms of a like a high for Avery, uh, I kind of feel like, the high for Avery, if we can call it that, is when Jacob comes to town and that interaction between Avery and Jacob in her campaign office. I actually kind of feel a little for Avery, which is when we were recording the episodes, and you've actually alluded to it in the commentary already here, Jennifer, that Avery is this M&M, but this hard shell, but on the inside. There's a lot of insecurity going on here with Avery that I don't think we really appreciated before. And when she says to Jacob, like, you are my best friend, damn it. So it's kind of a high in terms of I felt like Avery more or less kept her composure, given it was very awkward. And Jacob was initiating this conversation, coming to her place of work, you know, one of her places of work, campaign office, unannounced. And it doesn't even matter what it is. It's like, I haven't heard from you in years, and now you're here. Why are you here? Although maybe the true highlight for Avery was <laughs> – uh, and again, I use this in big quotation marks, but when she tells Jacob, Caleb did give you the we play for different team speech, right? He told me he did. Um, yeah, I uh, thought that was really, really interesting. And I don't know, I'm 
I'm not sure how I feel about Jacob after this last episode. Well, he was almost my least favorite, but I felt that Evelyn, maybe for no other reason than Evelyn managed to do all of this damage and bring up all of this considerable baggage, kind of like she should have known better being a parent and to actually parent as compared to Jacob, who must have known that Avery felt that way about him, at the very least at being best friend and in fact having that romantic overture. But actually to your point there, Jennifer, when Avery says in that episode, that's episode, yeah, 713, yeah, checkmate. Avery's like, did you agree to help Caleb just so you could dig up dirt to feed his opponents? And his response is, do you agree to help yourself to man after man trying to live up to your expectations? Maybe that should be said to Avery, but that shouldn't have come from Jacob. And at the same time, I kind of view Avery as, well, Jacob's the one man I couldn't get. She's also frustrated by the fact that I found that out from someone else. Like, you didn't even have the decency to tell me. And it kind of seems like, well, Jacob didn't have enough respect for Avery to tell her. But then my brain is also like, but at the same time, why would he necessarily have respect for her to begin with? Except that clearly Jacob knows how Avery feels, and Jacob's using that to his advantage. So at the same time, as much as I dislike Jacob, in that moment, she's a senior in high school again. And it's like no time has passed whatsoever. Yeah, I don't know. I It's weird. I had all of the mixed feelings about Jacob that I did about another kind of fictional character that was in a remarkably similar situation where part of me is like, well, damn, Jacob, you bitchy queen. How can you be so rude and mean? And yet I understand why, especially if they grew up in a particularly small town 20 years ago, he might not have been completely out to himself, never mind the rest of the world. He might not have said anything to Avery because he was licking his wounds from having been rejected anyway. (laughs) And we don't know for certain, as you've said, when Jacob came out as gay to anybody else or if it was one of those, quote unquote, everyone knows that, but no one is saying it. We don't know how Jacob was treated by those people. But yeah, Avery seems to think that he should have come out to her personally, which. Yeah, nobody has a right to anybody else's personal truth necessarily. But just reading in between the lines here, rereading the script, I could very easily fill in blanks of Jacob putting himself out there to Caleb as sort of a, I don't know, first foray into, hey, I like you, I like you, I like you, like you. And maybe Caleb wasn't mean about it, but it was like, yeah, dude, I bat for the other team, which teenagers are notoriously good at accepting rejection. (laughs) And knowing Caleb's reputation as man-child, I agree that I don't think Caleb would have been mean about it, but I don't think he would have been particularly sensitive about it or really appreciated just how much courage even that would have taken. Yeah. And I I hate to stereotype, but also the fact that they were on the same sport team and to stereotype any group, but you know, you stereotype jock, that might actually be beginning of the end of a lot of relationships you would have with people in and out of the team. Because as you said, no one is entitled to anybody's personal truth necessarily, but Jacob really felt comfortable enough telling Caleb this Jacob just didn't go to Caleb and say, by the way, I'm gay. It's I'm interested in you specifically, and I want you to know that. And the fact that Jacob ultimately is hired by Caleb to represent his interests, 
I kind of, without even knowing more details myself, particularly at this point in season seven, I'm like, I'm not certain I feel particularly happy with Caleb's choice either, because it's kind of like, well, well, you know, clearly Jacob still has feelings for me. I can use that to my advantage. But at the same yeah. time, Jacob is also getting a job. So maybe Jacob would just be happy. Hey, I'm back in Caleb's life again. And hey, here's an opportunity for me to kind of go back and talk to Avery, too. And also say, hey, by the way, guess what I know? Yeah, it occurs to me, Dan, that if you ran all of these characters and these plot points through the Am I the Asshole subreddit, the resounding answer would be everyone sucks here. (laughs) Favorite horrible people. Yeah. Speaking of favorite, well, maybe not favorite, but horrible people, certainly Hudson. Yeah. I know if you have the same number of highs and lows, it doesn't necessarily mean they balance each other out because – there is equality, not necessarily equity, right, when it comes to numbers. But I found four highs and five lows for Hudson and both Steve and Jennifer may be thinking, wow, only five lows? Good for you. I'm going to start with the lows. And Jennifer, I can already hear the uh-huh. Low, being in a relationship with Avery. Uh, what? Oh, I even thought, Hudson, I thought you were smarter than that. And quite frankly, I also thought Avery was smarter than that. Um, huh? <laughs> so... So from Hudson's perspective, why am I disappointed in you, Hudson? Why am I disappointed in you today? Or why am I disappointed in you this hour? Sometimes it seems you're in a relationship with Avery, despite her tumultuous past with Bella, who, by the way, you were also with. And you were with Bella more than so far in your life with nobody else more in terms of total time. And also, I'm sorry, what instance of this is you being in this relationship? I think it was established that they had been a couple like on four different occasions. Avery is politically pursuing consequences for Riley, you know, your sister, Hudson, as a result of the Doe contract and having been in an intimate relationship with Caden. And you know that Avery and Caden were an item. They did not hide that. And you're also now with Avery up to and including not long after he died, tragically, accidentally. So this is kind of like all of this plus your timing is really cringy. You also promised, Avery, you wouldn't get weird with Reese being her new partner in the debt-buying firm, but guess what? You got weird anyway. While using that fact as a romantic overture to cite episode 702, and you alluded to this as well, Jennifer, Hudson goes, not long ago, you told me my lying was one of the traits you found most attractive, which Avery called out, something tells me you... This is not the first lover you've said that to, and that's true. That first lover would have been Bella. Uh, Uh Uh-huh. Furious head nod cosign to the. I also found his confrontational approach to discovering the pregnancy test. Give me a sense about when you were going to tell me about this. I mean, yes, I understand it might be kind of surprising that, oh my gosh, why am I discovering this? But at the same time, you can't even say you're friends with benefits because you're not friends. You're just hookup partners, it seems. There doesn't seem to be any more depth to this relationship other than quite honestly, a physical pleasure and be the fact that you can both say you're not single. You also, Hudson, you initiated or at least facilitated a sudden drastic change in mood and tone in his interactions with Avery. Episode 709, how are you moving from cruel and smug to playful and suggestive in this argument, as Avery puts it? You're using an opportunity that clearly has the two of you at odds. And instead of discussing it instead of trying to resolve it or at least come to a we can agree to disagree on it you try to circumvent it and turn it into a moment it's just so juvenile and maybe you two deserve each other in that respect but 
how he also went about in getting Avery to see how her having Caden as her phone's voice print was negatively impacting others, including himself, which, yes, included but not limited to making Avery think he had deleted all of her archived copies of messages he had left her, which led to the F-bomb that we talked about already, and also in part to being called an asshole by Avery. I certainly don't think that Avery's an angel by any respect, but Hudson knows that Caden meant something to her. As much as maybe finding out from Jacob that, you know, maybe Avery does throw herself man after man, but this is different. It was different with Caden. And not just because she's pregnant with this child, which he finds out, but he kind of, he knows that. And he sees that she's grieving, that it's not just about the loss of a partner in bed. It's a, it was, it was a partnership that was deeper than that, even if that's not something Avery was going for from the beginning. And to make in that moment to think that, haha, I just deleted this message, which sounds like the last message that the father of her child was the last thing he, and she was keeping it for a reason, then he deletes it. That was just low. One of those things, I don't care how awful a person you are and I don't like you, Avery, but I felt sorry for Avery in that moment because not only was that not necessary, but that was very purposeful going out of your way to, well, be an asshole. I think you summarized the character pretty good. Yeah, that, that, yeah. Uh-huh. Pretty well is probably the better English. Well, thank you. Highs. Okay, he does provide a professionally constructive suggestion for helping Riley's mayoral election coverage be more effective. Interview the candidates' managers instead of the candidates themselves, he said in episode 707, having practically facilitated its lead-up by driving Riley directly to Pedro's campaign headquarters which is all indirectly responding to Riley's challenge from the previous episode when she says, what are you going to do about it with reference to defending against the Doe contract? Well, here's how you can help defend against the Doe contract. Riley, you can make your coverage of the campaign stand out. And even though Riley later admits to Nora, I'm going to slant my coverage in favor of Pedro, the fact that Hudson, it was like kind of an unsolicited, you know, you will not do this, Riley. And maybe it would have been better if Hudson had just suggested that to Riley without Garrison there. But Garrison kind of picked right up on it. And in fact, I think Garrison kind of gave Hudson the idea in the moment when he said, oh, you know, Petro's given all these interviews, but nobody's asked to interview me. And then Hudson's like, yes, that's exactly what Riley should do. And that should be what her coverage of the campaign is, not talking to the candidates themselves, but the candidate's campaign manager. Hudson also does save and then provides a copy of all of Caden's recordings Avery had long kept, but thought deleted, as well as the one that he purposely deleted, knowing how important those recordings were to her, because that's not something he needed to do. That was not something that was going to give him an advantage. It's just kind of too bad that's, as I said before, how he kind of went about telling Avery that. He does pay respect to Caden at his graveside in episode 706. We do know that he is still involved in his biological parents' lives. So that's Caden's parents. So Caden got to grow up with these individuals. Hudson did not, having been put up for adoption. Again, he's still involved in their life. He now has a relationship with them. And admittedly, we don't know that it's positive. But the fact that biological parents are still meeting him and he still wants to meet them tells me there's at least something constructive there. They're helping each other. Good for you. And Hudson also does not let the revelation that Avery is pregnant with Caden's child be an immediate automatic exit from this relationship. Even despite what I've said in terms of it just seems to be a, well, you're a body, I'm a body. We have quote unquote physical needs. Let's do this. I could have seen him saying, oh, it's Caden's child. Well, see you later. It's kind of seems like Hudson is kind of stuck. You know, he's stuck in a moment, but he can't get out of it to quote a U2 song title. We don't know what way he's going to go with this, but it's not an immediate, well, I'm done with you, because there's been absolutely nothing to suggest that Hudson wants anything to do with a child 
but at the same time, it doesn't make him run away. And maybe that shouldn't be a positive, but particularly given who Hudson is, I'm going to say that's a high for him personally. Do I think Hudson should get an award for proving himself from this season as compared to another? No, but (laughs) (laughs) not so much that it makes easier to write Hudson if not everything is negative. But for any character that, excuse me, I'm trying to write as someone who's dislikable, I don't want it to be the stereotypical villain that you might see in children's shows, which is, oh, everything this person does is bad, and therefore they're bad, and that makes them the bad guy. I still wanted to give Hudson some kind of redeeming feature, if for no other reason than to make someone, including myself, go, hmm, if you can be positive in this way, does this mean that I can overlook or somehow reconcile all of these lows? Is it worth continuing to know this character and continuing to follow this character? Maybe not necessarily root for his success, but maybe not want to facilitate or push his demise. Yeah, I have to admit, I was impressed that Hudson found out Avery had been knocked up and did not immediately run screaming for the hills. There's no blackmail. Like, I'm going to start telling people if you don't X. That's true. That may still happen. But he's also not using it against her. This is a big decision because whether I stay or whether I go, it's not going to be a little thing. I found out this information and it's going to change Avery's life. Am I still going to be part of that change in Avery's life? And if I am going to stick around, this is the other question. Good for you for not running for the hills, but I think it's still kind of up in the air if maybe it would be better if he did. Because again, even though Hudson's not all bad, he's not exactly the nurturing type. For someone who always has a point and someone who likes to keep score, that's not really a good parental quality. Hudson, in the short term, you've done good. Now don't screw it up. No, it, Riley's looking at Garrison. Okay. Um, yeah. Not at Max. Dan, yes. I dare you to draw a chart with lines between characters who stuffed each other. Because <laughs> <laughs> six seasons in, like any other show, we're really getting confused. <laughs> well, they haven't actually done anything to act well, on yeah, these yeah, feelings yeah, yet. Yeah. Well, no, yeah. that's in a few minutes, apparently. I think the only place I've ever heard stuffed was on uh, Clue. What? You haven't seen... Uh, that's probably what Garrison will be saying after Riley has her way with him. <laughs> anyway. Oh, wow. Went there. She's very enthusiastic Pardon? about the kind of candy, so... <laughs> Do I have a sex scene coming up? <laughs> Not this season yet. Oh. Dance no, no, right those one. sound effects for the ladies. <laughs> Please, no sound effects. <laughs> Need world. All right, episode seven. Pulp overture. Wow! Wow! For the plot developments this season, what do you think the highs and lows were, Jennifer? Oh, for plot development, um, it's interesting. Because this seems to be so much more character-driven than plot-driven, that makes it a little hard for me to nail down. I don't know if this is necessarily a high. I'm not sure if it's a low either. But again, Avery being pregnant is a huge deal. Honestly, Bella and Carson being married is just, whoa. 
And again, I'm not sure that that's a high or a low. I think if anything counts as a low, I would probably say pretty much anything that Evelyn sticks her unwarranted nose in. (laughs) (laughs) At the end of season six, when Evelyn challenges Gary about, essentially, you're going to explain how your life has been wrapped around these people that are less than half your age for years. There was at least some invitation from some characters at some point in time, whether it was Riley being in a relationship with Gary, whether it was Gary still being one more turns lawyers that tied him to Carson and Caleb and then Hudson. There was some wanted for Gary, but Evelyn is kind of here despite everybody else. And to be spiteful, to essentially kind of like, Gary asked me to come back and parent. Fine. I attempted to do that. Check mark. Oh, Bella's leaving. Well, I guess I can't parent anymore, so now I'll make it about me. All tying back into Evelyn being my least favorite character. And Jennifer, you're absolutely right. I view this as a story that is character-driven first and plot second. And it is a character's ambition and history and their personality that drives the plot in terms of what they're doing and not doing, what they're saying and not saying, how they're doing something and not doing something, and quite frankly, who they're doing something with or not doing something with. (laughs) All of these things kind of interconnected. As for Bella and Carson, it was introduced in the very end of season six, right before Bella and Carson are getting married. I'm happy for Carson because he seems happy, At least he seems happy with the idea of being married, even though this was Bella pursuing Carson, right? Because Bella had been with Carson before. It was like with Hudson and then with Carson and then with Caleb and then back to Hudson. And Bella's like, I finally figured out it was you all along I should have been with. It's a high for Bella because, wow, you got Carson. But I kind of like a low for Carson in the sense of you want to be happy, but why would you pick Bella? mm. (laughs) So maybe it's a low and a high. As for, as you said, Aerie about to become a mother, that is the high point. Another high point, at least to me, whether she should win or not, I mean, Aerie becoming a political creature in the sense of running for a political office, she makes the comment about, well, I'm the best in my business in pretty well all of this country. And she even talks about, well, I'm just going to be mayor for now, you know, having even greater political aspirations. It's a high for her in terms of her ambition, but oh my gosh, the havoc she's already caused personally and professionally, and now we want her to go into politics too? That could be the beginning of the end of the civilization as we know it. guess we'll all just have to wait and see. What about you, Steve? What do you think the highs and lows were for plot developments this season? Well, I think you already brought it up. I think probably the baby bomb drop in episode two, <laughs> that was a, definitely a high. Not being familiar with the previous plot, you know, all that much, it, it, that seemed to be the most dramatic. Uh, the low, I thought, there was an argument in episode four between Avery and Reese at the very end where there's a loud slam is heard. No, no, you don't get to say that like that to me. You're not the only person who Caden meant to something to the only somebody that he saw having meaning to him. You not get monopoly on the grief, the anger, the guilt over death. You don't have to share what you feel, but you damn well better not presume your feelings are exclusive. I thought that was uh, quite the powerful line and really showed the relationship pretty well between Reese and Avery. It's kind of hard to explore this side of Avery because this is a very vulnerable Avery that we're just not used to seeing. It's kind of one of those things where, well, we theorize that Avery could feel this way, but there's no evidence to support that notion. And here it is in 
speaking of dramatic, you know, this being a dramedy, drama and comedy combined, very dramatic. And it's one of the first times in the series I felt sorry for Avery. I thought it was actually very good for her to express that outwardly. And maybe if she shared that with more people, maybe different people at different times, maybe she wouldn't be quite so... Reviled? Mm, yes, exactly. For you to point that out, Steve, which is, you said, someone really just coming into the series, not just... There's already an established cast here, and I'm voicing a new character, even though this character clearly has history with some characters. So we're kind of all on the same page with that in terms of his history of these characters because he's new. It's established characters uh, that you're coming into... But also, you don't know what's been going on in previous seasons, so that it stands out for someone who's new to the show, as well as new to the cast, in terms of being part of the show's audience being new. And the fact that it jumps out to, I think, both Jennifer and I as well, really becomes one of those moments in the series that time just seems to slow down listening to that, and it just it kind of weighs heavily on what's happening in that scene. I wanted that to really have a strong emotional impact for people to reflect on the character and maybe relate it to something in their life. And so I'm glad it's coming off that way. Yeah, no, I did. Definitely. It, uh, it resonated with me. And that was just the first read. Yeah, I thought it was interesting that after Avery actually like exposes her soul for this first point, and then <laughs> Reese comes back with, well, I did say the air quotes around the words. <laughs> yeah, Reese is not moved by this at all, which in some respect, I'm like, well, yes, it's Avery. But also, it's Avery to be bitter in saying that, because before that, Reese had said, if we can agree to be direct and expedient with each other, which is what Caden said in more than one instance. Yeah, that, that's how Reese defends herself. Well, I used air quotes around it. Well, I don't know why you would say that other than to rub it in, like to yeah, to, 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 to be take, to be mean. Yeah, to take the dagger, drive it in, and give it a couple of good hard twists while you're at it. You wanted to hurt Avery. You purposely wanted to hurt Avery on a personal level when, by mm -hmm. the way, the two of you just agreed to be business partners. So you can have disagreements about the fact that Avery is using Caden as the Irish substitute on the phone. And Reese isn't the only one. Like, Hudson brings it up as well. But at the same time, both Reese and Hudson, to varying degrees, they're almost equally as bad in terms of how they bring that up. So it's, it's a point to make, but to make Avery feel the way she felt about it, almost like Avery should feel guilty for this is how she's managing it and this is how she's grieving it makes me feel for avery like oh. i said dan if we ran all of these characters in these situations <laughs> am i the asshole subreddit everyone sucks here um <laughs> with the possible exception now that i think of it of max and nora and even Max is getting himself hip deep in some shit that he should have run away from a long time ago like taking one look at the whole baby daddy drama maelstrom around Avery and Hudson and yeah, and being like, you know what? Bye. See ya. <laughs> well, I think of highs and lows for this season. Hi, retaining the character of Evelyn with deeply connected past to Bella and Gary and to notable extent Hudson, Caleb and Carson too while interconnecting her to the present circumstances, because she was around long enough in Bella's life to know her dating Hudson, at least at 
one point, Caleb and Carson as well. Also, Nora pursuing her psychology degree and, while no doubt getting experience and, of course, credit in providing mediation to friends, making time to help them with all serious intent. I mean, yes, it's to her benefit to have this experience. In my mind, she's getting, again, credit in one or more assignments for providing mediation. And I know some people might be saying, man, you shouldn't be doing this with a friend. If you regard somebody as a friend, don't get into their psychology. Don't try to be the mediator. You can't end up being both of those things. Do one thing well. I still think it's a high because, quite frankly, Nora isn't starting to provide mediation to these people because she wants to become a psychologist. She was already doing that with Max and his relationships and her mother living with them and with her children. And now with all of these other people around, she seems to have people coming to her either confessing things like Riley did. And I like kind of like that. It's like, oh, I've got something to confess. Well, you haven't actually done it yet, so please don't. And then, of course, it's about Riley, so of course she's just going to keep talking. doesn't matter. But Nora recognizing, I'm good at this, but I'd like some formal training. I I think I can make this a career because at this point, it's like, well, Max is the one bringing in the money. And it's not like I have to necessarily make money, but I want to contribute more. And also, it gets me out of the house, right? I'm I'm helping to support my family, but I need my own thing as well. But while I'm doing my own thing, hey, I can be helping out other people too, as long as they're wanting that advice and as long as they're, you know, listening to it. Otherwise, Nora's just banging her head against the wall. I think that's a high. I think Nora pursuing this is just a natural extension of the way this character has been written and how the character has been received. Lowe's. Max is spending at least a little bit too much live streaming now at the expense of time with his family. I understand it's something new and it need to be successful because this is how they're going to be making money and there's more money going out, not just because the kids are here, but because Nora's going to school. But I think a little too much time doing that and also kind of leading to, oh gosh, it kind of looks like Max and Nora's relationship might be fracturing just a little bit here because they're not talking. And I'm not saying that's because Max is spending too much time live streaming, but Nora even makes that comment to Riley about, oh my gosh, he's spending so much more time doing this than when he was at the laser removal shop. I just I just don't know what's going on with us. The other low is Hudson and Riley's personal relationship continuing to be dysfunctional, with Hudson's unsolicited yet well-intentioned assist with Riley professionally notwithstanding. They might say nice things about each other to other people, but whenever they're together, I write them as, oh, it's you. And whether it's Regarding the present circumstance or not, their history, which is complicated, seems like Hudson can't decide whether he is the guardian or the brother. Hudson makes a lot of mistakes in that respect in terms of how he approaches Riley and what he says and what he does. But Riley also kind of views that as, oh, here's Hudson again telling me what to do, interjecting himself into my affairs when it's you guys are family and you continue to bring out the worst in each other when I really would like to see both of you bring out the best in each other or try to help each other. And it just seems like you're trying to help yourself to be the most injured party in this relationship. Man, I'm even getting more emotionally involved in talking about this than maybe it's because I voice Hudson. I don't know. But I'm like, Hudson and Riley, the two of you are pissing me off. Um, (laughs) Either get better or actually stop interacting. How about you just do that? Just do everybody a favor because nothing good comes of the two of you being in a scene. Because even if it's a short scene, even if it sounds innocent enough, it's not. As good as Riley is at being self-absorbed, that's how Hudson treats her still as a kid. And it's not becoming. Yeah. 
Another low, recent Avery is not only partners in the debt buying firm, but also in Avery's run for mayor. And even when Avery asked Reese, Reese thought it was a joke. And I'm thinking, why don't you two see how you actually run a business together first? Because you're already spending way too much time with each other. And I think that's also bad. And then this is just even more time. And that's just bad, bad. And two negatives don't make a positive in this case. Ugh. Recent Avery makes me long for Avery and Bella. I, I feel like <laughs> they, they are more likable now. <sighs> it's just like, oh, we didn't have it so bad with Bella and Avery. Now it's recent Avery. Oh. There's also this disconnection and splintering in Bella and Carson's relationship between how they speak to each other, where they see themselves individually as a couple, professionally and personally. Bella saying, you know what, you're established out here on the West Coast, Carson, but I'm not. Well, I don't seem to mind. Well, yeah, well, Bella's like, but I do mind. And then when Bella says, by the way, I'm going to be Evelyn's campaign manager because she asked and I agreed to it. By the way, we didn't talk about that first. Bad, Bella. Bad. But then Carson's response when Bella says, my mother offered me a salary. And Carson's <coughs> sounds like charity. <sighs> Carson, you know, Bella is struggling and that's you supposedly being supportive by dismissing that. I just. Oh. Yeah, it's dismissive. But is he wrong? No, I, <laughs> no, I don't think so. But I kind of feel like Carson also knows like Bella is struggling with this. I mean, Bella pursued Carson. Yes, Carson moved out to the West Coast before that. Bella follows him. Bella tried to get Carson back before. He rejected her, came back, ended up on Hudson's doorstep, and Hudson eventually sent her on his way. She goes back out. She's successful a second time, and Carson is trying to distance himself from the town, clearly wants to be back there. And then when Evelyn says, hey, want to be my campaign manager? Okay. I do appreciate Carson trying to make Bella realize your mother hurting you once, but you allowing this to happen a second time, like hurting you twice, kind of like that's shame on you. Probably not the best way of phrasing it, quite honestly. But uh, <laughs> there needed to be somebody in Carson's life that would point out to him, although dudes seem to be in fairly short supply in this town, but <laughs> the, the dude needed to point out to Carson, dude, you're not wrong. You're just an asshole. <laughs> <sighs> You moved away from town because you wanted dull moments. He recognized the dysfunction. This is not good for me out here. And at one point, Bella says, you're talking about single you. You're now married you. And married you on the West Coast, having Bella come to you, that seemed like that, that was starting to work well. But as soon as you come back to town, it's kind of like you're your old self again, Carson, kind of very insecure and high strung. But now you're supposed to be in a relationship with Bella, too. And so it just kind of seems like you're falling apart personally. You're falling apart in your relationship. Carson also is not seeing, oh, my gosh, if Evelyn wins, Bella's going to want to stay here. I don't want to be here. I don't think they're thinking about their relationship. They're just like, well, our, our relationship will just follow us wherever we go. And I don't feel like Bella or Carson listened to Nora's advice, which I mentioned before. Nora's like, um, you need to communicate with each other and you need to keep doing that, just like with any relationship. Well, they're not listening to the advice and they're not listening to each other. Oh, And yes, finally, Avery using Caden's voice on her smartphone as her iris substitute. Oh, I know everyone grieves in their own way, but I mean, me personally, I'm just like, it's one thing to save archive messages, but reconstituting Caden as the iris substitute the fact that she also seems to have no regard or care what others think around it when it's in use, that's just not healthy. Where did you get that idea from? Oh, to have Caden be the yeah. substitute on the phone? It was a combination of things. Ernie Darkestanian, who voiced Caden, said he still would like to be involved in Season 7. I wanted to find a way to have Caden in the episodes. 
I want to kind of have like this transition where people are getting used to Caden not being there when it was so sudden that Caden was not. Like, Carson moves away. Okay, people should have picked up on that Carson's getting ready to leave here. Or Gary, you know, especially after his relationship with Riley fell apart, it's pretty soon Gary's not going to be here. But Caden is like, here, 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 and then he's gone. Right. I also wanted to add a little depth to Avery's character, which was, I thought, if I have Darkest Onion voice Caden, but it's as the voice recognition software on Avery's phone, and it's something that Avery uses constantly, and I think for a lot of people, even more than I like to care myself, you know, our smartphone, for those of us that have it and use it in any meaningful fashion, the only thing that makes my heart skip a beat more than where is my phone is where is my wallet. And maybe sometimes the other way around and it shouldn't be that way. <laughs> yeah. So it's kind yeah. of Avery's way of keeping Caden close to her and Caden yep. is quote unquote talking to her. Uh-huh. And this is Avery kind of like, I need to hear his voice. Because my understanding is when we lose somebody, one of the things that goes quickly is the sound of their voice. And, uh-huh. Right? And so for me, this was Avery trying to stay close to this person. Yeah, that's but, a good point. And I thought just having Avery listen to recordings that Caden had kept, given Caden's messages whenever, oh my gosh, he's professing his love to me. That's not Caden. Caden showed his love through his actions. So to have listened to very practical messages from Caden, I'm like, no, 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 no. What if Avery decides I'm going to have Caden with me wherever I go? Caden is going to talk to me. Caden is going to help keep my life together. Yeah. I guess yeah. it's, keep, it's keeping Caden alive, right? Yeah, she's not just simulating his voice. She's simulating his love language. Yes. And seeing as that's how Caden operated – there's even kind of the, and I know you made the reference before, Jennifer, that Caden seemed like the love child between Joe Friday and Lieutenant Commander Data for <laughs> him to be Iris Substitute. You know, yes. It's just very, very fitting. And the fact that despite all of that kind of gut-wrenching, oh, why Avery is doing this, both being heartfelt and frustrating at the same time, as it stands, the last thing we hear, quote unquote, from Caden, the last line that Darkest Onion voiced is about adding cucumbers to the shopping list. This is kind of the end for Caden, at least for now. Also, I thought it was kind of a, quote unquote, unique kind of modern way to actually hear Caden. And it's also not like, oh, it's only Avery that's hearing the voice. No, everyone can hear Caden's voice. And in that way, that's kind of the problem. I mean, Hudson kind of pointed it out in a rather blunt fashion, which is this makes a Caden more disembodied than he already is. <sighs> Yeah. Which is true. And of course, and it's just like, Bay. Hudson calls out Riley for being insensitive. I was just like, Hudson, really? But yeah, that's why that's why I made that choice. I hope it doesn't just come across as kind of, well, this is kind of forced in here. I tried to also want it to be acknowledged that other characters have noticed this and uh, they have a definite opinion on it being used. I think mm-hmm. Bella's character has changed the most. Just interesting to see from season one to now, you know. I know you had said, Lee, in the series commentary, like, wait, I'm sorry, Bella gets married? She has a happily ever after with Carson? What is this? I was totally shocked when I read it. You know, it would be an interesting plot twist, is if Bella wanted to adopt Avery's baby. But it seems like Bella's always trying to outdo her parents, so she'll become a lawyer to prove she's a better lawyer than her father. She'll become a mother to be, prove she's a better mother than her mother. Oh, and, yeah. Because yeah, she talked about, like, wanting to, like, settle and become stabilized. Daycare. No, I don't think she started daycare, but I could totally see her trying to adopt Avery's child. 
Yeah, I could see that too. Uh, spite among them. <laughs> yeah, it could be such a delicious, terrible thing. Question eight. Did season seven meet, exceed, or fall short of your expectations and why? I'll start with this one. It met my expectations. In seasons five and six, it actually exceeded them. So in this case, it did not exceed. Why did it, quote unquote, just meet? Well, it helped flesh out and add meaning to that which was introduced in kind of the half season, the episode 614 to 619. We introduced two new characters, Garrison and Jacob, to show their connections to existing characters with their own traits and as such their potential for our show's audience to see that they could become more emotionally invested in their journey too. While also acknowledging the departure of two others, Caden and Gary, Caden in this case, the character being deceased, but the Gary character just elsewhere now in life, and to introduce them in a way that was respectively relevant and unique. So that's why I felt for me that season seven met expectations, even though I must admit sometimes I don't know what I'm measuring in terms of my expectations in this way. But in this case, I, it's just that gut feeling that, okay, I, at least I think I accomplished what I was hoping to accomplish, but really didn't go beyond that. And you know what? Given the fact that this show is continuing, it wasn't expected to continue, and there was this interruption in production as a result, and then trying to get back into it, I think it would be unreasonable for it to even necessarily exceed expectations. So I'm satisfied with season seven. But the question is, are Stephen and Jennifer also satisfied? Steve? Well, being new to this, I <laughs> sounds a bit of a cop-out, but I didn't have any expectation coming into it. A little nervous doing it for the first time. So on one hand, not storyline, but the experience itself was a lot easier than I expected. So I was actually relieved in many ways that the actual process was a lot easier than expected. So that exceeded my expectations in that way. On the storyline, I don't really have a comment because I didn't really know what was coming into it. Having now, from this commentary, learned a little bit more about the character development, I think it's probably exceeded my expectations now having learned more about what went on in past episodes. I think it was a good season to introduce uh, you know, the baby bomb, the relationships and how they're developing. I would say overall exceeded my expectations. There, I've argued it against and for. Fair enough. Jennifer? I would say exceeded simply because we had no expectations going in. Well, more accurately, we had every expectation having done a series commentary after season six that we were just closing the book on one more turn and that was that. And so when we got the news that, you know, hey, we're back. I was really, really surprised, gratified to see that it was going to continue because I've enjoyed this. But then reading through the script, all of these episodes, I think, were much more dense than previous episodes. It's always been character driven, but we get to see a lot more about what makes all of these people tick. So I guess my comparison would be dense in the comparison that before the chewy center of the show has been kind of like eating a three musketeer, which is tasty, but kind of fluffy in the middle <laughs> versus uh, hmm. season seven being more like a Mars bar. Also tasty, but an awful lot more substantial. 
<laughs> That's a good analogy. I like that. <laughs> I do as well. I also like both of those yeah. uh, chocolate <laughs> bars. And for reasons that you already described. Yeah, now I just need to know, is Gary going to be coming back for any reason? Because I think I might pay money to see just some sort of a bump up against Evelyn because I like fireworks. <laughs> oh, I thought it was uh, going to be a cousin fight with Garrison. <laughs> I will say that's unlikely. The voice performer for Gary chose not to reprise his role. Gotcha. And okay. I understand his reasons why he felt that the character's arc has come to an end and has said no. I decided not to recast. No, that's cool. He feels that the Gary character had intertwined his life with these other people long enough and he liked the send-off that Gary had and the impact that he left, and he didn't want to revisit it. I thought, well, I could recast him and have it go any which direction. I could have the character trashed off screen. I mean, maybe Caden's prediction that, you know, all those years of carcinogen consumptions would kill him. But I didn't kill Gary off, and in fact, I used Gary not being there as a vehicle for why Garrison is there. And I like that. Frank, thank you. And I, there's even the reference to how Gary's going to ensure that this backward dealing that Caleb is doing through Jacob actually doesn't get found out, and if it does, he'll take care of it. Like, Gary's involved, he's just, he's not there. It's kind of like Pedro. Pedro's yeah. there, but he's not <laughs> and this kind of leads into the next question what do you hope audiences takeaways are from this season i hope i won't go first on the last one i'll explain why i kind of feel like i'm going first on this one i hope that the introduction of garrison and jacob is positive and that they have purpose as well as relevancy again i didn't want them to be why isn't an existing character reading this line the continued presence of evelyn is welcome in herself having continued purpose and relevancy. Her presence is welcome in terms of the train wreck and how much of an ass she is, but it's not feeling like, oh, is she still around? What's what's the point? You know, like Hudson always has a point. I want there to be a point for every character to be in the show and a point for them to be in a particular episode that, again, it helps move the plot along. Whether you like it or not, like them or not, that's, to me, kind of beside the point. And that all other characters that were previously introduced and present come across as seamless in their continuation given the time lapse between Season 6 and Season 7. Also, I hope another audience takeaway is that shifting in focus to the political undertone to the Doe contract seems at least a plausible, if not intriguing, progression for the storyline. Season 1 was probably the most plot-driven as compared to character-driven. The Doe contract is never actually specified what exactly it is. And also, I took Joe from John and Jane Doe when you just don't know, and it's purposely to not know. But I can't completely ignore the Doe contract because it's kind of been there from season one, and it would seem disingenuous to just drop it completely. So I thought about have that being kind of the underline that the Doe contract is continuing because of the political storyline, but it's because of characters' personal aspirations makes it again plausible and intriguing and lastly i hope the audience takeaway is where is season eight having built and expanded on the emotional connection to these characters and their lives and thinking gosh please don't let there be as long a wait between season seven and eight as there was six and seven i guess steve and jennifer get to as they have for this entire commentary almost speak for the entire cast not to put that much weight on their shoulders even though i think they can handle it there was a concern i had about bringing the show back that it would cheapen the end, quote unquote, the otherwise end of the series, whether it be the, like with regards to the series commentary, I guess that's like series commentary number one now. I don't know. 
but that it wouldn't feel like, oh, was this just a marketing stunt to say that the show was done and now you're bringing it back? I hope that enough time had passed that it didn't feel like that because, again, that was never the intention. It was intended to be the end. But at the same time, not too much time has passed where it's not, oh, this? I'll start with you, Jennifer, kind of in relation to that point. And also, what do you hope the audience's takeaways are from this season? Oh, um, I would hope that the takeaway is that we're doing maybe not serious stuff, but stuff that has, again, a bit more substance. And this isn't just a bunch of players nerding out with each other for funsies. Like, you know, it's it's art. And so please come back that I think that would be my my first like what I hope they take away from it. It would only feel like it was a marketing stunt if there were people paying attention to us in the first place. (laughs) (laughs) Not to put too fine a point on it. (laughs) I will point out that we did get nominated for the 2019 podcast awards for storyteller and drama. But I know what you mean that there really wasn't a lot of active vocal attention. So if you take no vocal attention and multiply it by any number for supposed marketing purposes, you still get zero. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Nothing from nothing. Carry the nothing is still nothing. And Jennifer's thinking, great. Now Dan reduced this to a math equation. Maybe they are just nerding out seriously. (laughs) (laughs) I'm okay with math equations, especially if you can get Tom Hiddleston to read them. Um. (laughs) We probably don't have a budget for that. I'm sure we don't. Steve, what is an audience takeaway from this season that you hope they have? Uh, Good question. I I would hope that that they've, um, having invested the time in listening to the show, that they want to invest more. Um, They want to come back and find out what happens to the Doe contract, which I think you've alluded to will never be revealed. They want to find out you know, what happens to Avery and her pregnancy. They want to find out all the ins and outs of each of the characters that they've got to, an emotional investment in each and want to learn more. And having learned more of the plot development, like I've said before now, I'm more interested in coming back and finding out more too. Awesome. I really was enjoying was the whole fact that even though Caleb wasn't there, people were reacting like Caleb was and that he was saying commentary and people would be like, no, Caleb. (laughs) (laughs) It's kind of one of those things where I don't know why anybody would start listening to this at season seven, but if they did, they just probably shrugged their shoulders, but we get the reference, right? And that, that was a way to keep Caleb alive in the show. In addition to Caleb having an impact because he sent Jacob in you know, essentially to represent him, and that will be explored further. I don't know what's going on, unfortunately, with Uber Marklar, who voiced Caleb. I wasn't able to get a hold of him. Well, unless I hear from Uber Marklar, Caleb's not coming back. I'll start with you, Steve. What is the one wish for either the character you voice, Garrison, or any character in One More Turn? What do you hope for this character beyond this season? Um, that Garrison has a, an affair with Riley and gets her pregnant. <laughs> wow. You hope that, that Garrison decides to not follow Gary's advice and stick to his age bracket? And, right, uh, yeah. No, yeah, and there's going to be a, a flirtatious affair, put it that way. That, that would be one way of putting it. Uh, 
The other way would be that maybe he just botches the job so badly he gets dismissed and one of the other characters takes over as the uh, manager for the, the election. Oh, campaign. for Pedro's manager. campaign. Oh, yeah. yeah, that'd be one way of doing it. And uh, um, I don't know if you're going to have reference to our past year and a half of perhaps introducing the pandemic into it. And ah, that would be something interesting to put a little bit of real time, you know, real life reference into the show. But I, I, I'm just kind of off the top of my head. I don't know. For the COVID thing, I made the conscious decision not to have that be a thing on the show. I've always said this is a show set in the near future. And to me, the near future is that COVID-19 and any such related things are thankfully in the rear view. Yeah, good point. Yeah. All right. Yeah, five minutes in the future is never a bad thing. So for me, I guess I'm hoping what we get in the future for the show or for my character I'd like to maybe see something happen since, you know, drawing the distinction between character driven versus plot driven. It doesn't necessarily need to be something awful or world shaking, but, you know, something happening. I would not be averse to audio depiction of some sort of Avery actually bringing life into the world. Oh, Come to that, I would hope she gets some sort of a happy-ish ending. Well, two things on that. When Nora was giving birth to Max and Nora, we only got so far as uh, Nora squeezing Max's hand to almost unconsciousness. So there's possible that perhaps uh, a future episode in a, in a season could go farther along with that regards to uh, that particular scene. And oh, I would love very much to imagine Hudson fainting dead away in a delivery room. <laughs> As for the happily ever after for Avery, I don't know what you have in mind for that, but that's... Uh, I don't know. Is... I'm not sure what a happily ever after would be for her. I guess maybe it'd be nice to see her being happy in what progressing towards happiness for however Avery defines that for herself. I kind of feel like Avery still needs to define that for herself. I'm not sure she's found that. Sometimes I wonder with her if it's just, well, this is what's making me happy right now. So that's what I'm going to do. But now that she is pregnant, well, that's going to make her <laughs> force her to reevaluate a lot of things. Yeah, no kidding. Hudson, I hope you step up and commit to supporting Avery and her child in whatever way or ways Avery is willing to accept. You are capable of any to all measures, just please keep it platonic uh, <laughs> for all of our sakes. I mean, as much as I enjoy voicing that character and as much as I enjoy apparently writing scenes that make Jennifer uncomfortable, you really don't need to be together in that way. More importantly, though, having helped Riley frame her mayoral electoral campaign approach, use this as a springboard to maintain positive contact with her. I realize that you're both adults but you were first, and as far as I'm concerned, foremost, her older brother. And whether you like it or not, whether she realizes it or not, she's still looking up to you, or at the very least, looking at you. And if she's not willing to reciprocate, if you take the high road and she doesn't take it, then that can be on her. But I think it's to her advantage, but also your advantage to having a positive, functional relationship with somebody because unless you've been having a positive functional relationship with people we don't know about, you don't. <laughs> I think, again, I think you're quite capable, just like you're capable of supporting Avery. But for whatever reason, you're just not doing it. Ugh. And then finally, 
put more observable and measure effort into improving one more turn solutions, make it a relevant business and in turn basis for plot point again, post do contract, fallout, whatever. It's not that I'm purposely not having one more turn solutions, which one more turn solutions is in part why the show was called one more turn. But other than the fact that there's the do contract, and that there was some, last thing we heard, even some accounting irregularities in the last months that Carson was leading the business, which is why there was talk about audited, and which is why Jacob flies out to the West Coast where Bella and Carson are. And Jacob's like, come on, Hudson, you've got to come back. We've got to, we've got to defend one more turn solutions because Hudson can't do it by himself. And quite frankly, he doesn't say it, but the dual contract issue actually predates Hudson. So come on, come on. Like we're going to return to that. But other than being a seeming like a problematic entity and it seems like there doesn't seem to be a lot of business for one more turn solutions since do something somehow you're making money i don't know how sometimes i i wonder like how is one more turn Solutions still in business who knows how they're making money i have absolutely no idea <laughs> <laughs> yeah music by kevin mcleod voiceover by sedwick This is the One More Turn website at onemoreturn.net. Copyright Civilized Communication at civcom.net. So in the previous seasons, there was a scene where there was sex? No, no. Oh. It was just, it was alluded to that Max and Nora, you know, got busy and this was the end result. I will say right now that there are no sex scenes. In, oh, because I'd be really good at playing that. In one more turn, the closest we get to is the hot and heavy kissing, which did return this season. Jennifer, you already alluded to that. Uh-huh. Between yeah. Yeah, <laughs> Hudson and Avery, although it was definitely brief and interrupted, I would like to think, in a very humorous and kind of cringy way. <laughs> yeah, like, yes, cringy, and these people have absolutely no self-awareness. And, and I was joking sort of at the fort, but um, perhaps to have some sort of burglary, some sort of dramatic effect goes into place. Uh, nothing, you know, as dramatic as in a zombie apocalypse or anything like that, because that would take the show a whole different direction. But either you're going to say you're actually serious, either about somebody getting murdered or you having a sex scene, and I didn't know which was going to terrify me. Likely the latter. As long as we don't all end up in a snow globe in some kid's bedroom in 1986. <laughs> oh yes, there's no sane elsewhere. So I, I think I've said that before, and I will reiterate again. Also, that this is a continuation. I purposely put this on the show's website and in the promo. This is not a reboot. This is not a reimagining. This is not retconning. This is continuation. Thank you very much. Uh, (laughs) And I'll just leave it at that. Thank you very much for letting me join the uh, commentary and add what little I know to the uh, dialogue. And uh, (laughs) it's a pleasure spending my Sunday afternoon with you, both of you. Well, thank you very much for joining us, Steve, and for sticking with this commentary and contributing here in your first season. We're looking forward to more from Garrison and hope you'll be able to join us for future commentaries as well. Thank you for your time. Absolutely. Anyway, good night and good evening. Bye. (laughs) Bye. Jennifer, thank you also for joining myself and Steve for the season seven commentary of One More Turn over at onemoreturn.net. It is so fun to have people 
who not only voice characters on the show, but are both willing and able to come and spend hours with me talking about what has happened. And as I've said before, as a writer, it is really satisfying to have other people get invested enough in the story to start dissecting things and even making me think about things that I hadn't thought about for the own characters and plot points that I write. So thank you kindly. Of course. And also to our audience for, you know, this is post-produced for listening to us, presumably. I mean, maybe you went ahead and downloaded the commentary and fast-forwarded to the end to say that you've downloaded it and listened to it. But either way, at some point you opened this file, whether to stream from the website or you downloaded it or you're streaming it off of YouTube or there's no need to pirate this, by the way. It's available for free. But however you came across this, thank you also to our audience for listening to us talk about, again, what we hope are everybody's favorite horrible people. (laughs) (laughs) Bye, all. One more turn, season seven. One more turn dot net.